Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Where, where are you at the minute? Are you... Glasgow or London or? I'm in Glasgow at the moment. Well, technically Paisley. I'm in Paisley, which is just outside of Glasgow. The rent is very, very cheap here. So that means I can kind of have a place to myself and have like a little studio room and stuff for mixing and things like that. Have you got a home studio? I've got a little home set up in my flat at the moment. I've kind of always had a home studio when I lived back at my parents' house. And I've sort of taken that stuff with me, taken some of it with me. So I, I kind of just, I jump between studios, but I've always got this little set up in my flat for sort of mixing and overdubs and obviously for myself like you know i can i can kind of record everything here except from drums basically at the moment which is which is pretty useful so i've done quite a lot of the the catholic action stuff here or that slow weather thing i've done a lot of that here and obviously all my demos and stuff done here and all of my mixing and things like that and then you just take it into the studio to lay down drums and is that pretty much all that gets done there or pretty much yeah catholic action stuff for example we done well we done sort of drums and bass and things like that in a different studio and then finish the rest of it up here so do you do you produce other people's stuff in there as well do you kind of work on that there too producing other people's stuff is basically that's sort of my job that's kind of my day job that's like that's really what pays the rent most of the time that's that's kind of what i do basically day in day in day out i'm kind of working with other people studios in glasgow and london and sometimes in liverpool as well are the are the pressures you face creatively when you're a producer different to that of a songwriter are there differences there yeah yeah, pretty different. Yeah, it's it's much easier to be more objective as a producer, because you, as a songwriter, obviously it's your song or your you and your co-writer's song or whatever. So you you've got this. You see it from a totally different perspective as a producer, and I think actually sometimes it can be much easier to to just be objective. Creatively, I find I find it easier creatively sometimes being a producer in a sense because you're going in. And you're working on someone else's stuff and you, it's not really as pressured. You kind of get on the same page as them, figure out what it is. I'm not really the type of producer that would like bulldoze your sound into what I think it should be. I just I just tend not to work on things that 
you know what I mean? If you're if you're like diametrically opposed to to where my tastes are at, chances are we probably just won't work together. So I'm not the type of producer that would just like bulldoze your sound and and make you sound like what I think you should sound like. I like to kind of find bands that have their own like sort of strong identity and and kind of work with them on that and and kind of get them to to where they want to be kind of thing or like help them help them realize what it is they want to be that's why i kind of like working with the bands that i work with they very much exist in their own world you know like cheap teeth or quiche or walt disco or something like that do you know what i mean they've all kind of they've they've very much got their own identity and that's what excites me about it I, i like kind of putting my finger on what that is and then just just running with it with them so it's really different from my own stuff they all have incredibly distinct personalities those groups uh, w- yeah whether you like them or not it's like you can't really deny you can't really deny them of that well that's kind of what's exciting isn't it? i don't really want to listen to the same band over and over again how long how long does it take you to kind of get a sense of that personality how long does it take you to understand it do you have to kind of figure out what works about it before you you start going in and working on a track with a group well like well with walt disco like the really early stuff that we done together just out of sort of maybe naivety on my part we just kind of went in and started because we were just work like the early like that sort of you know all that like drowning on my velvet bed and all the kind of earlier singles that they brought out we just kind of we were in my home studio at the time at my parents house that I still had at that time um and we were just kind of screwing about you know they've, they're obviously really strong personalities and stuff and they had an idea of where they wanted to go but i mean it wasn't really like a big conscious thing like oh this is what we're going to do we just had stuff you know we really like kind of all the cool arty bowie records and stuff like that and some sort of 80s minimal kind of goth stuff and just took that and sort of ran with it because we worked together for quite a while so we kind of had and it was like because it was the home studio there was like no pressure so we just worked on stuff for ages until we had tracks that we thought were cool and then whereas other bands it's like you know might be meeting them for the first time or working with them for the first time in a sort of bigger studio and it's more expensive and things like that so if I'm doing that sort of thing, then of course, like we'll kind of meet up and hang out, you know, a fair bit in advance and kind of talk about records and, you know, do some pre-production and all that kind of thing. And just kind of get, the thing for me is just it's really important for me to get on the same page because like as an artist, I kind of know what it's like. And as a as a total control freak artist, it's I, I know what it's like to kind of concede decision making and, and you need to, re- you know, you need to really trust a producer you're working with being on the same page is like vitally important for it to work because otherwise you get into the studio and you're both pulling in different directions and sometimes maybe that sometimes maybe that results in something totally unique and interesting and beautiful but uh, um from my own experience it just results in arguments i always try and when i'm working with people figure out what it actually is they're trying to do or what it is they'd maybe like to do or where they'd like to go and because that's what that's exciting for me i don't have a kind of clear-cut formula for whoever i'm working with in, in terms of where they want to go with that specific song or in general like where they want to take their band like trajectory wise and where they want the sound to develop over the the coming track of everything really mostly sonically my thing is i I'd really like the older i get or the more experience i have with things i have really have very little interest in the kind of industry side of things or you know i'm sure we can we can get into social media in a fair bit but you know you know what i mean all that kind of shit I'm I'm interested in bands that want to make good records. Like that's all I care about. I, I don't care about their public profile or social media persona or any of that bullshit. I, I care about making good records that people can listen to and enjoy. You know, I feel like that's something that comes across in Catholic Action's second record. That kind of dissatisfaction is, I guess, one of the main themes of it with the with the industry. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a joke, isn't it? At the moment, very dissatisfied with. Well, that was sort of getting the dissatisfaction out of my system, and now I just don't care. Like now, it's just sort of I'm just into what I'm just sort of into what I'm into, and if other people like it, then good, fine. If they don't, then as long as I like it and as long as it's true to me, that's all that matters. You know, I feel that. Certainly, with social media and stuff. I mean, I really, I really hate it. I really like despise social media, and I, I feel that it makes. Well, I know for a fact that it makes me incredibly unhappy and incredibly anxious. The the I figured out the basically the more I look at my phone, the more unhappy I am. That's just and it's just that's just a fact. I can't really get around that. So, and in terms, and that's just on a personal level. And in terms of music, it's making bands focus on everything but the music like I, I think there's a lot of bands that are around right now and you're kind of like are you a band or are you a social media account like like it just the the emphasis is kind of shifted from we've made this really cool record listen to how amazing this sounds this song is great this song's going to make you you know this song's going to make you go wild or <laughs> whatever you do when you hear a good song uh, it's, it's kind of shifted to Look at our aesthetic. Look at our aesthetic. Look at our aesthetic. Look at our aesthetic. And it's like I don't. Well, I don't really give a fuck. Do you, do you know what I mean? If you if you don't have if you don't have an interest in music, who gives a fuck? Like I don't really care what you had for dinner. I don't really care about watching you practice. Shifted the focus, and the industry totally encourages it. It's shifted the focus from let's work really hard and write loads of good songs, because that's what matters. The focus has shifted from that to. Let's spend all our time trying to come up with social media content. I was going to say it's almost like a misunderstanding of what made someone like Bowie work. The fact that, that it was so natural and so organic and it came from his characters. They were so intrinsically tied to the music and they came from that and they were reciprocal and they played off each other. Whereas when it comes to social media, it feels like a very separate entity. A lot of the time it, isn't, it doesn't have a relation to the music. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. It's totally separate. But we are, in a more modern sense, someone like Aldous Harden to me kind of embodies they are their art do you know what i mean so they they don't have an it they use social media but they don't have an emphasis on it but they're just they just kind of like bowie they kind of they are their art it's natural and, and it's not it's not disembodied it's it's just them but i just think bands are kind of missing the point a lot of the time and i do, and i think obviously the whole nature of social media kind of encourages it you know to, to to just sort of obsess over your image and and whatnot and then also obviously the industry encourages it themselves i mean we've had that like much to the disdain of our label, I just basically turned around in the second album and said, I'm just not doing it. Like, I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in participating in all these stupid social media stunts to try and drum up interest for the band. You either like the record or you don't. You know, like me doing a stupid thing on social media or a fucking live set that you can't hear properly. It's not going to make you, I don't know. I, I'm quite cynical with that sort of stuff because I just, I just think, I just, I, I think social media in general is just kind of, tearing at the fabric of society and just really fucking people up like on a in terms of their mental health so i'm just quite against it and yeah again it just to me sort of in in a musical sense i think it's it's sort of making it everything making everyone focus on everything but the music which is just fucking boring as far as (laughs) as far as i'm concerned yeah i just uh just wish people would just write you know that way and it's like Everyone just drips feeds drip feeds like one song a year, you know they they build up all this hype around like one track and it takes like six months, like as an art like I don't know how, 
you don't go mad people don't go mad doing that like you need to like you get people that like obsess over like three songs for like nine months and then then just drip feed them and it's like if you want to get good at it you need to just keep writing you need to keep making stuff that's that was like you look at someone again like david bowie like he put an album out pretty much every year you know and 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 again that stuff can go the other way you can do the sort of king gizzard thing and put out like seven albums and but then it's sort of quantity over quality it's like you know them and the ocs it's like every album maybe has like one or two absolute bangers on it and then there's just loads of sort of stoned jams i think it, uh, it can be done though i mean if you look at someone like brockhampton put out three three records in the one year like a few years back yeah and are pretty much consistently still put out a record each year and it's consistently good yeah and it's and that's the thing it's like that's you know that's not really like that's Arguably, the production on something like that is way more complicated than it would be for, like, an indie rock band. Yeah, for sure. Indie rock bands, in theory, could, like, fire stuff out because there's not really much going on. There's, like, drums, bass, guitars, keyboards, vocals, whereas Brockhampton is probably... They're not someone that I'm entirely, totally familiar with here, so I'm kind of taking a, a guess that the production is much more involved than that. I mean, at some points, it's very much minimalism, but it's minimalism that's very worked at. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's something you can tell there's been a lot of care and time put into to get the sound to sound exactly as it needs to and exactly as it should. Yeah. And it's a bit more off the wall, I guess, at some points as well, like, rather than, like you say, the, the kind of standard four instrument setup for a band. Yeah. Anyway, I'm being really cynical. Why aren't, why aren't, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, why aren't bands putting out a record each year then though? Because they don't spend any time writing songs. They spend all their time fucking taking pictures for Instagram. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe. No, Is there a way back? Yeah, just write more songs. Stop, stop looking in the mirror and just fucking play music. Potentially, potentially that's how to do it. I don't know. I just that's that's kind of the thing when I work with bands, especially young bands. The thing I really would encourage them all to do is just write. Just keep writing songs. I mean, that's you're not gonna get any better if you just sit on the same five songs and never, never write anything new. And you know, do you know what I mean? Like endlessly tweaking recordings of five songs. Like just record them right and put them out and move on. That's how you get better. I think people, I think music listeners respect that as well, because then, because it's more, it's more meaningful content from them. I'm sure if you were a fan of a band, you'd rather they put out some more records than posted pictures of themselves on Instagram, for example. Yeah, we seem to have started doing this. <laughs> we seem to have started. God, I'm so so cynical today. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. kind of in the same boat a wee bit. I mean, we seem to have started doing this thing as well, where a band will put out a single, and then they'll put out an acoustic version of it, and then they'll put out a remix of it. And then they'll like put out an alternate version, and I, d- I don't get it. It's like, it seems to be trying to get as much, it seems to be trying to put out as much music as possible, but also not really putting out anything new. Just reworking the song endlessly for some, I think because of that thing like we're speaking about, they, they think they need content, but it's not actually interesting for people. It's just putting out stuff for the sake of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. It's just kind of milking it, isn't it? And, there's the, and it's totally, I mean, again, it's probably, it's not really just artists, it's totally encouraged by the industry completely encouraged by by the music industry to kind of i mean obviously for them it's kind of they want to sell records don't they but yeah it just seems a bit sort of hyper capitalist and a bit soulless really now it's just kind of I, th- I just don't really know like it just feels a bit i get so which is which is why like i feel like i've just kind of decoupled myself from it because whenever i interface with it with that kind of world it just makes me really kind of miserable i just want to focus on what i'm actually interested in and i think that's well, I mean, that's what everyone should do. If everyone did that, then things would be 
things would be better instead of looking at each other and going, oh, that's what they're doing or that's what I'm interested. Do you know what I mean? Like just trying to one-up each other on social media or whatever. I completely get what you're you're saying. I mean, it's the same. It's like running a music site. It's like you have to wait through so much fucking industry bullshit to actually get to the place where you can do the interview and, you know, speak about the music. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like that's what, just, just again, like my main thing with it is just, although I've been on a big cynical tirade, but my main thing with it is simply... I feel like the focus has shifted from the thing that actually matters and that's, you know, good records and and, and the music. Obviously, the live performance side of things is (laughs) gone. But also, the other thing is, I like mystery. Because I'm kind of old enough to remember not having social media and being into music. No one really had smartphones when I was in high school. You had, like, MySpace. That was kind of the extent of it. But, and that was kind of the start of it, but one of the things that drew me to a band like, say, like My Bloody Valentine or something, here we go, um, is is that the, there's such an air of mystery about them, or there certainly probably was back in the day as well, that, you know, you'd have, like, the back of the record to look at, and then maybe an article in a magazine, if you could find the magazine. Like, I love, like, I really love mystery about artists. Like, I don't really want to know. I'm not really interested in what you had for breakfast or something. Like, imagine... Well, imagine David Bowie had social media in the early 70s. Like, it would have totally, like, shattered the illusion of, like, Ziggy Stardust or whatever. Like, you wouldn't want to know what motorway service station Ziggy Stardust was in at the moment. Do you think it's possible to be a band without social media? I'm going to try. I'm going to try and be in a band without social media. Uh, whatever I do, anything I do from now on, I'm going to... As far, I mean, maybe I'll have to, to some extent, but, you know, for for this project that I'm working on just now, or the record that me and Annie Booth are about to put out, I'm really, really trying not to have social media at all. I know that's going to make things a bit more difficult, but again, it's just like, I've just got to this point where it's like, this actually just literally makes me really miserable and anxious. (laughs) So for my own health, I'm just not doing it. And if that means less people know about the record, then fuck it, I don't care. When did you, when did you notice things start to shift? Because I know you said like you were in high school and it, it wasn't really kicking about. When did things start to move in a negative direction with it and it moved from being like a tool to being something that seems to consume people's lives well it's just i think it's the the smartphone really once everyone got a smartphone then you could kind of be on it all the time and it's sort of never ending and i, and I guess it's just it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and worse and worse in the past sort of five to ten years but you look like there's actually really interesting studies done there's a guy jonathan Haidt. he's like a uni lecturer he's like i think he's a psychologist or sociologist or something like that but he's done like done a lot of research on it he wrote this really interesting book called the coddling of the american mind he talks about like you you look at these charts and it's like sort of teenage depression and like set like hospital hospitalizations for self-harm and like teenage uh girls specifically and like you look at this chart and it's fairly stable through the 90s and fairly stable through the early 90s and then around like 2009 2010 when the smartphone comes out it just fucking shoots up like it totally like skyrockets and it's not stopped since and these are like you know from from like little girls to like preteen girls and then there's obviously teenage women teenage girls and then grown women as well and it's like for, for men it goes up it does go up a bit but not quite to the same extent but it's totally wild and it all like correlates with like when smartphones became really prevalent when everyone kind of had one you know so it's just i just think it's really bad it's like it's just really bad i mean I mean that this is a, this is nothing really to do with music anymore. But on that on that front, I think it's I think it's bad. Like you say as well, though, it's scary how young it is. I remember when I was in school, 
like at the time it, it it didn't fool you but when you look back at now the age when everyone was kind of self-harming or the peak of that was like when people were 12 yeah that's like it wasn't like a teenage thing it was like just before that kind of kicked off it was it's weird looking back now how young people were. that's wild man that's wild. that was quite innocent as a kid i probably didn't really even i didn't really even know about the con i didn't really think about the concept of suicide or whatever until i was probably in my mid-teens or self-harm and stuff i didn't really know like i wasn't even aware that people really did that you know, I was quite, maybe quite sheltered in some way, but uh, bizarre. Yeah, really, really bizarre. So it's just, I just feel that it's kind of really affecting people's ne- mental health negatively. And again, it's just like, it's kind of, to, to an extent, it's sort of, for, for up and coming bands anyway, it's, to me, it's kind of diverting them from what matters. Very, very cynical today, I'm sorry. Very cynical. <laughs> <laughs> What, when it comes to the music, though, what matters most to you, like specifically about it? Like I know we're speaking a lot about the music is a thing that we need to focus on, and it's something that's definitely getting lost. But what specifically about it is it that matters? That matters to you? I mean, what was it that drew you to music in the in the first place as a creator? Well, you know, I just had this social media profile, and I thought having mu- you know being in a band would get me more followers. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, what drew me to music? I grew up in quite a mu- well. My parents never really played music, but they always had they had really good record collections. And I remember from a very very young age, just kind of sitting in front of the stereo listening to records. And I used to always I used to just always ask what things meant. Like I remember my dad was a huge huge uh, fan of the Clash. I just I just quite enjoyed kind of asking him what the songs meant. He was also he was also a huge fan of the police and I remember asking him what Roxanne was about and he never told me <laughs> until, uh, until I was older and then I figured that one out for myself. I was probably too young at four to four or five to learn about that one. Um Were you quite curious as a kid then? I guess so. I suppose so. Should have maybe just done science or something. <laughs> um Yeah, I yeah, I, I kinda I think I started playing guitar about like eleven and it took off from there and then when I was maybe like fifteen 14, 15, we used to kind of all hang out at the music rooms in school at lunchtime and they had this old Tascam Porter Studio thing that was like a blue cassette four track. That was that was it. I started using that and that was that's how I kind of got into recording. It kind of blew my mind because no one used it. It just sat in, like, sat in this cupboard so the, the teachers were perfectly happy for us to just kind of dick about on that. I ended up getting, like I think a year or two later, my parents bought me a wee digital eight track thing and then that was it i just started recording sort of everyone and anyone who would let me since sort of my late teenage years i kind of got into recording more as a way to like record my own stuff because i'd had experiences in studios and stuff you know with your like first bands or whatever when you're 16 17 and i was always kind of like i just always found the engineers to be really grumpy and kind of (laughs) close-minded really grumpy listen listen to me for the last half hour so i was just kind of like no i'm gonna i'm gonna teach myself how to do this i'm gonna like record all my own songs and i'm gonna record other people and not be a grumpy dick and try and be positive because the thing is as well like i'm all the cynical shit i was going on about a minute ago it's like it's coming from a place of like i'm trying to help people you know i'm trying to help people make better music and like get out of this like quagmire of like you, all these external things that don't really matter like if you if you make good music I mean, perhaps this is naive of me but i feel that if you make really good records interesting records that people want to listen to all the other stuff will just kind of follow yeah i think so i think if you can get to that point where you know you, you stay pure to what your initial vision is and you you stay pure to yourself as you kind of as you ascend exactly exactly that's the thing purity you know loss of purity 
loss of vision because you your you, your brain is just so blasted with with like overstimulation that you can't focus on anything. I know you were speaking about your kind of early experiences with Grumpy Engineers. Do you remember the first time you you went into an actual proper recording studio? Yeah, the very first time I went was quite positive. It was with a guy. I think the place is a, a sort of a college now called Riverside. I don't know if it was a college or not then. I can't remember, but I was playing drums in a kind of emo band at the time. I think I was probably sixteen or seventeen. It was. It was actually quite a good experience. That was the the engineer there was actually really good. He was an older guy. Well, again, it kind of inspired me to go right. Okay, I'm gonna because I just sort of left. I sort of left school halfway through sixth year. Just sort of wasn't really in a good place and kind of thought, fuck it, I'm not doing anything here. So I left and jo- joined that band and then went to college and started doing sort of sound production because I'd, because of that experience in the studio. Yeah, so the, the very first studio experience was a good one. It just there was a couple of one, other ones after that. I was just like, ugh, the engineer kind of made it about themselves. What, in trying to impart themselves on the music? Well, a bit too much. There's a fine line, I think, because obviously you do want to help bands and obviously some of that does involve imparting yourself in a tune and sometimes bands actively want you to impart your taste on them. But other times it's just kind of like it's done. It's done not out of the desire to help or make something better. It's done out of the the engineer's own ego kind of thing, and what they think is right or what they think you should do. You can't like impose rules on things too you know too strictly in the studio. It's just gonna this is gonna kill it. You know. Does it ever help to have limitations though? Oh yeah, yeah. Limitate like limitations are good. Like limit like that's why that's one of the good things about working off tape. For example, you know, like you only have like eight channels or sixteen channels or twenty four channels or whatever, and you have to make it work with that. Whereas obviously with things like Pro Tools and as much channels as your computer can handle, so no one ever commits to any decisions. Whereas tape, you're like you have to commit to decisions and you have to commit to sound. So so those kind of limitations are great, but it's when you're it's when you're you know, some old engineer like scoffing at a teenage band and going, "Oh, you can't do that." <laughs> you know, you know, like it's just horrible. Because quite often it's like that's where all the cool ideas come from. You know, people people thinking outside the box or, or doing 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 things a bit differently. And and you know, maybe it won't work, but it, maybe it will. But you, you you'll never know unless you let some mad sixteen year old with an insane idea try it. You know, it's often I think as all well, the things you find. Or like creative with the things you find on the way to your initial idea, like surprises pop up that you didn't even anticipate that end up being the kind of interesting thing that you use. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Quite often, like if you're if I'm working on a demo or whatever, you know, I, I'll be like building up an arrangement or whatever on Pro Tools or something, and you'll have an idea of what you, th- you. There'll be like a part of the song that's kind of boring, and then yeah, something will happen to it, and then that part of the song will become the main focus. Like that will become the chorus or something. Do you know? You know? Yeah. I think it's. I think it's right. I don't think you should ever be closed off to. To things like that when you're when you're creating stuff, definitely. Have you always you mentioned tape earlier? Do you always record to tape, or do you kind of go between the two? Go between the two, if possible. Because sometimes, I mean, it's sometimes it's more of a hassle. Really, it really depends on how well a studio's set up and stuff. Because it's it's very sort of romantic using tape, isn't it? It's kind of nostalgic and stuff. There's something about the imagery of it. Yeah, well, it does. I mean, I think it's. I think like a good tape machine, things recorded well to a good tape machine do. It does sound better, but it's like you can't really. You can't really fuck with how useful things like Pro Tools and stuff are. So, like, I try and do, like, you kind of try and have the best of both worlds, really, you know? Like, because you'd be insane to deny yourself the, like, functionality of something like Pro Tools. But if you have the ability to, like, say, record, you know, like, your drums and your bass 
through the tape machine and then into Pro Tools, like this Savage Mansion album or whatever that the, I done that last year, and we recorded all the initial takes through tape. So it was like going through the tape machine and then into the computer. So you had like the sonic of the tape machine and the live band, and then we used you know Pro Tools for a couple of overdubs. I mean, not really extensive at all. You, we you, we could have easily done the whole thing on tape with a band like that, but it, just for the sort of functionality of it. After you've after you'd hit the tape machine, going into Pro Tools was was pretty useful, and then obviously to take it away and mix it elsewhere, you need to kind of digitize it anyway. But no, I mean, if in in an in an ideal world, if I had all the money in the world, I'd love to have a have a big desk and a big twenty four ta- track tape machine and just kind of work almost exclusively off that. That would be that would be amazing. But I need I don't know if I can find like twenty five grand somewhere, I could get like a really good uh, you know twenty five thirty grand, I could get a good good desk and a big tape machine and then take it from there does it sound different is there a different texture to it the actual recording on the tape a little bit yeah a little bit it kind of like kind of compresses things slightly a little bit and it sort of rounds off like the high end things a little bit low end too and people the the thing everyone goes on about with tape is that it sounds warmer you know the way like like a mac demarco record sounds really warm kind of vibey intimate intimate yeah so that's tape and then obviously you just you've just got the pure nostalgia factor of it like i think it's i do think it sounds better like a lot of it's to do with like the really nerdy stuff is like even odd order odd order harmonics and tape and analog equipment in general tends to add even order harmonics which are generally more pleasing to the ear or more musical people would say and things like that so it's Again, it's like you—it doesn't really matter that much. You're getting into kind of nerdy engineer territory, but I'd say like if you were, if you were like a good, the other the other thing about tape is that it's pretty honest. You have to be able to kind of play <laughs> on tape. Like if you you can't really you can't just loop it. Yeah, you can't loop it. You can't quantize things. You can record to a click, but you can't really edit it in the same way that you would if you recorded on a computer. So it's going to be a lot raw, really. You know, which for some bands is great and maybe other bands want a sort of more kind of modern sort of edited sound and maybe it's not the best way to go. Yeah, I guess it's about finding a balance sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. It's for The thing as well, I think we're recording music production, context is everything. Like absolutely everything, context, context is number one. So I think like you can, that's why, again, like I try and I want to find out when I'm working with a band, I really want to find out what it is they want to do or where they want to go with it. How do you feel like the context people listen to your music can affects it, affects the way they perceive it? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, like, well, I've obviously been the, the total cynical Luddite that I am. I mean, the, the second Catholic Action album was made with the purpose that you listen to all of it in one go, or as close to that as possible, but people don't really do that that much anymore. But again, I'm just at the point where I'm like, this is how I've made it. If you want to listen to it like that, then you probably enjoy it more. Um, but if you want to just cherry pick tracks, then then fine but yeah obviously it it changes it really does change if you're listening to a record in mcdonald's or if you're sitting in front of your stereo just you know really actively i think i find it quite a common thing to do i maybe it's just something i've always done you know just just stick a record on and listen to it and don't do anything else you know just take that 40 minutes or 50 minutes or however long the album is and just like just really listen to it because you'll get so like if you don't if you don't if you're not someone that does that regularly you'll be amazed like if you just give your brain the chance to fucking stop for like five minutes and just focus on one thing you'll find it really calming and also the music just opens up there's the there'll be so much more in there than you imagine there to be if you're just listening passively you notice all the little flourishes and the little 
almost the motifs as well, the things that kind of link up. You notice all these things that like join in the dots almost when you're listening to it. Exactly. Yeah, it just opens up and become like it just. It's almost like it just becomes a three dimensional thing as opposed to background noise. And I think again, the sort of nature of you know the internet and social media right now, there's so much information that a lot of it can't help but become background noise because we're so sort of oversaturated, like overstimulated constantly. Yeah, just things become background noise. So, I mean, you'll be even more, it, it will be, the effect will be even more profound if you really actually take the time to sit and listen to something. Because you don't really stop, you know, it's like incessant. Sorry, I'm, I'm coming, today I'm coming from a total place of like, I'm in this weird place at the moment. I'm just trying to like get better and figure out how to exist sort of happily with things that are going on. Because uh, I, I just, I've, I've just found that things have got me to a place and, a lot of other people I know to a place where it's really quite anxiety inducing and sort of yeah so I'm just trying to figure out ways to sort of exist in a in a more sort of happy healthy place and a big part of that for me at the moment is really trying to really trying to really trying to uh, disengage disengage from the the internet and and social media in a big way like fucking just it's just like a howl in a best man it's like it's so horrible you go on facebook and it's just an absolute horror show of just here's an endless list of things that are wrong with the world right now i've always found it weird i would do that like the news like everyone comes in and sits and watches like a highlights reel of all the awful things that have happened in the world today like it's, it's such a bizarre thing when you think about it like in an objective way it really is and i think i think a big thing with the news is you have to remind yourself that it's it is still entertainment like they the people that make the news want you to keep watching the news so if, like of course it's in their interest to kind of i'm not saying i'm not like one of these like pure not job like anti-vaxxers that says don't watch the news i'm just saying keep it in the back of your mind that it's it is a form of entertainment and they want you to keep watching it's in their interest that you keep watching so of course it's going to seem like an absolutely endless stream of catastrophes when it's not really um there's a really good book actually uh i've just started reading it called factfulness and it's just talking about i mean it, it's a really positive book basically it's talking about how you know actually in the modern world we're we're healthier we live longer there's a lot less you know deaths from war or famine or things like that the general trend is that people are you know more and more people are being lifted out of poverty and all that you know so there there is a lot to be really positive about it's kind of hard to read books like that i feel it's hard to read books like that this year because obviously covid the rona everything's put in context yeah of this awful thing that's going on yeah it's important to kind of keep that in your mind i think um oh did you um i wanted to talk about this did you read that article uh the guy from fat white family talking about idols uh what where he was slagging them off yeah no but i did see this but this was recently wasn't it there was well i think i mean i don't know i mean i think there was like an original thing like last year i get the impression it was an original thing last year and this one that he's just written is him trying to like contextualize it a bit i just wanted to know if you'd read it is this his blog thing that he does yeah i think is this his blog? Yeah, yeah. I think I have Wild. read that. Yeah, I was reading that and there was someone else. It was the guy from Sleaford Mods. I listened to him on a podcast as well where he was basically... There, there seems to be a slight pushback against them or people just kind of saying that it's bullshit, I guess. Yeah, I, I just I read that article and I totally agreed with it. <laughs> basically, I just wanted to see... I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on it. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of asking everyone who's sort of into music about it. It's quite interesting. So this is the article that was speaking about 
the slight nature of them where it feels a little bit forced in some ways and it's trying to i guess capitalize upon people's morality in some way yeah like appeal to people's better nature and kind of use that as a platform to excel uh yeah but you know i just again i just think it's kind of dangerous territory isn't it this really do you not do you not find it did you listen to that new track that came out the other day the one the french title no i've not listened to the record yet oh okay it doesn't i was yeah i don't know why i've not listened to it 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 was on my radar but i don't know i feel like i I don't want to say i'm over them but yeah it's not very good anyway you're not missing much is it not no (laughs) it's just it i kind of feel like it's it's done a little bit but yeah it's it's cynical man it's really cynical it's like like (laughs) it does certainly it does certainly like a guardian generated algorithm lyric machine like it's it's almost like they've bypassed what it is they actually feel and they've just sort of covered all the sort of hot button topics to try and they become a hyperbolized version of themselves almost yeah they're almost like a sort of parody of themselves it's kind of i feel like i feel like the article was really spot on as well just about the kind of way that kind of extreme left identity politics thing is totally forgotten about class you know yeah. but dangerous territory here when i was speaking to someone the other day when did politics become football it feels like everyone's just got a side now that they kind of cheer on and there's no real nuance about it anymore the internet the internet man the 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 algorithm man it's so true it's so true it's it's, like since again it's a a total symptom of social media i think it's just that way because obviously you know that way like as soon as you start you know if you if you like the guardian or whatever on facebook or whatever uh, or the, the you know the other side you know like the daily mail or whatever you're just gonna get you know your feed's just gonna become an echo chamber really quickly and you're never actually gonna see what the other side are actually saying and vice versa so everything just gets totally everyone just gets totally polarized like completely because you'll you know I mean you're only ever hearing what you think anyway generally it's so important to listen to people you disagree with exactly yeah even if, even if you disagree with it just to give them the space. I guess. Even people that are, I don't know, quite abhorrent. I watched... Did you ever watch those Oxford Union addresses? Um, Who... who, Which one? Who was on it? So there was one with Tommy Robinson. Oh, right, okay. Who was someone that I was completely... So I, I watched that just just out of interest. And it is, it is important to listen to someone because you, you realise a few things that he is... He's more a symptom. Or I guess he has become the problem. But initially, he's more a symptom of a problem than he is. Yeah. Like when you look at a lot of the experiences he's gone through, if you're poorly educated, you were kind of brought up in that mm-hmm. area, it would be very easy to end up with those abhorrent views. Yeah. I'm not trying to sympathise with him in any no, way. No, of it's course. Just, no, absolutely. It, it's, it's it's interesting to see that, that side of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, the, the more I think about it, the more I kind of... It, it makes total sense that, like, p- people that would have traditionally voted to the left, certainly in, in England and stuff in the, in the recent election, from, from sort of working class areas of, you know, have, have kind of switched sides. It makes total sense to me now. I mean, I think, like, the left has kind of became really upset, like, well, A, really fragmented, and, and B, really, really obsessed with, like, really extreme sort of identity politics type thing. And if you're if you're someone that works in a, a car manufacturing plant that's getting closed down, uh, you're not really going to care about gender-neutral toilets or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, you, I think that would actually be really quite off-putting. And Again, that was that the article about idols was saying that they tend to, instead of being, it's that kind of like tolerance 
you know, like being like intolerant, like, I don't know, it's really confusing, but it's like... I mean, they, they've always bordered on condescending as well. That's, that's yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, if you're not hip to whatever, like, latest super woke identity politics thing is, you're an idiot, basically, and you're, like, cast out. So, of course, like, people, you know, working working class people that traditionally would go to the left are just going to be completely... They're going to be completely put off by this stuff, you know? And even though it comes from, obviously, the whole identity politics thing, it comes from a really good place and people should be free to do what they want to do and, and you know, live without prejudice and, 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 and things like that. Absolutely. At the same time, it's got it's gotten to such an extreme that you're it's now alienating a large part of the, the left wing really needs to actually go anywhere. It's bizarre when the people, you know, on the right who are like the millionaires have become the ones that have almost managed to convince the working class that they're their chums purely by just going completely against what the left are exactly yeah. trying to stand up for a minute i mean the, it's difficult because like we say like that the heart is in the right place when it comes to the left it's just the kind of execution of it yeah it's just this kind of isn't done in such a way that it just yeah it's it is like you said it's it can be condescending to to people that don't necessarily understand it and it's so nuanced and it's such a minefield that i don't even you know i mean i tried to understand a lot of it but Again, it's like you get to the point where you're kind of scared to say anything about it because you're like, I don't really want to put a foot wrong here and offend anyone or be, you know, so I'll just not say anything about it instead. And I think a lot of people are kind of getting like that. And that's really, really not, that's really not a healthy uh, place to be uh, going, especially for, well, especially for art and art and creativity. And again, to talk about that article again, that's something that the, that guy from Fat White Family touches on. That's why I just I just found it quite an interesting article because it's something that you could argue that oh well it's just it's just the guy from Fat White Family just trying to be a shit stirrer. That's kind of his brand, isn't it? But I I think I just think he made a lot of really good points in it, and I, I think it's quite interesting whether you care for their music or idols' music or or not. I mean that they're a band who've always or Fat White Family rather a band who have always been on the more provocative side anyway. Yeah, and they've kind of tried to push the push things in uh risky directions. Yeah, you could you could just say, oh, they're just fucking edge lords. You know. I just think I just thinking we really, really made a really valid point. People need to people need to be able to express themselves, I think, and people need to be free to do that and free to kind of make mistakes and, and say things that are a bit off because ultimately it it has to come from to link back to what was saying about it being about the music and art in a kind of pure way it has to be pure it has to come from it has to come from inside you and not what you think you should be doing because of things like social media and you know um all this sort of social justice warrior thing in the case of um idols i think it's going to burn out though how long do you reckon it's got left because i mean nothing lasts forever but this whole social i mean this whole cancel culture thing as well yeah it's too feels like it's been going on for ages again it's difficult because i think originally it came from a really good place like it came from people just wanting to make the world a better more equal place you know like again it's kind of everyone you know regardless of you know gender identity or race or whatever you know should be free to do what they want to do absolutely i just think that the the actual cancel culture itself has become really toxic and alienating and I'm I hope I'm hoping the whole cancel culture itself is just a kind of reaction to how toxic things have been and then once things kind of settle it there won't be a need for it anymore like right now it's like super puritan and really extreme because maybe those people feel like there's a need for it and then once things kind of settle more in in mainstream culture then there just won't be a need for it I mean I hope it because I mean 
it's difficult it's just like people are just gonna people are people are already just scared to scared to say things about it to to put themselves because obviously people don't again don't want to offend anyone or put a foot in the wrong place so they just don't say anything about it and it's difficult it's like because it's difficult conversations to have with all these issues because they are difficult issues and you can't i know here's a here's another straight white male telling people how to how to think about things and it's not it's not the case at all but i just think that it's 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 definitely waded into really unhealthy territory now but again it's like it's on the right the right wing have gotten really extreme as well there's all that queuing on fucking bullshit and all this you know all the trump stuff and the alt-right stuff for the last five years so they just kind of they just kind of balance each other out don't they like when one pushes further one way the other pushes further the other way and it just yeah, you just hope that it kind of there's some kind of respite to it eventually. I'll give you a quick there's a there's a quick way to to get respite from it, and that's to turn your phone off. I've been quite I've been doing that quite a lot, or putting my phone in a drawer and just looking at it when I'm having a break. I did it for a week back in lockdown. Yeah, just turned it, did it, well everything the computer as well. Ah, oh, nice. How did you find it? Fucking great. Yeah, more people should do it. It's weird in the same way that uh, I don't know drugs or alcohol seem like a a quick respite from mental health that has long-term negative effects it's an instant turning your phone off for a week is an instant respite that has no long-term negative effect yeah like, like it's a it's a completely healthy thing to do. But it's difficult as well like i don't think you i don't know if you could do it now everything's back up and running again it's so hard man because the responsibilities to certain things that's the thing i'm kind of at a point where i'm like it's really i'd i'd love to not have a phone a smartphone but just for work you know for like booking bands and finding bands and things like that uh it, it'd be really 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 hard not to not to have a phone i'd kind of eventually like to kind of shift totally to to doing uh just emails but at the moment i'm kind of having to stick to the phone it's just it's just it's just having the de- it's like building up your own kind of like personal discipline to not just scroll instagram for like half an hour and turn your brain off because that ha- and it happens and it's really it's kind of scary you've been like you just you know you realize you're doing it and you've what like what have i done for the last 20 minutes my brain is just totally scattered it, it's weird how often that happens i mean social media runs on the same techniques that casinos do doesn't it like they implement the same kind of the, the way you get an endorphin release you know when you you like something or you click on something yeah there's a really interesting guy called Jaron Lanier and he like used to work for one of these companies and he speaks very eloquently about how fucked up it all is. I think there was also a Netflix thing that came out a couple of weeks ago. I've not seen it yet. The people are saying it's pretty good against the whole social media thing. But man, my th- main thing is just I just wish people would focus on music more. Like that's what really matters. That's the, like the actual records themselves are what matters. The rest is all just sort of promotional fluff. There's so much promotional fluff now that you have to wade through to listen to a good record that it's kind of off-putting. Do you think a lot of the stuff that I guess the industry and PR companies re- rely upon or seem to place a lot of emphasis on stuff like you know music reviews and all that does that actually make much of a difference? Like that's what I always feel like whenever I get stuff through from PR people. I'm like, if I spend ten hours writing a review of this this mm-hmm. album, is it? I don't actually know, but I don't actually feel like it. It does anything. It depends. I mean, I think it probably it certainly did. You know, like in the days, well, I don't know, like in the nineties or whatever, when it was just music magazines, like people would, and I, I was kind of the same as a teenager, like would buy the NME pretty religiously every week and read all of it and find out about all these bands that I liked that way. 
I think reviews to an extent do matter. Like again, like it really just depends on your platform again, and the more like clout your platform has, the more the reviews matter. I think like because obviously like I mean sometimes I do go on to like Pitchfork and look at best new music and just stick one of them on. I do do that actually as well sometimes. Often it's like best new music for a good reason kind of thing. Like oh, like quite often there'll be there will be some really fucking good stuff in there. It's always I mean, interesting as well. Like interesting to listen to. Yeah, exactly. There's always going to be something. Like it's not just the standard. Yeah. There will be something cool in there probably. But it's tricky, man. It's like it's. it's it's just everything like the internet's just kind of upended everything really hasn't it like i mean even obviously the music industry itself is like totally changed from the way it was well all that napster shit in the early noughties and then metallica it's yeah slowly i remember i done i don't know why i did it but i done a year's worth of a degree on music stuff and part one of the i remember writing i had to write a fucking academic essay about that like the the case like Metallica versus Napster or whatever that was quite. Did they not like name their specific fans as well and stuff in the case? Like they had like specific names of people who had like, downloaded their music. They were Metallica oh, probably, fans. Probably, yeah. Probably. It's so weird. But I mean, again, like it's just totally changed. This, this, like, so it's never a totally different landscape. There's so much less money and stuff in it. And I guess it's kind of clawing its way back in some ways. But then you've got like Spotify who just don't really pay you. I think it's like roughly 0.1 of a penny per play you get on spotify there's there's exact figures out there i'm not really sure but it's 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 something like that you wonder what it moves to next though because i mean nothing lasts forever so <laughs> there's, there's gonna be something after spotify but it's impossible i guess you couldn't have predicted spotify so it's impossible to see what the next thing is gonna be yeah well the amazing thing is the amazing thing is and considering considering lockdown and considering everything that's been considering the state of the industry right in terms of streaming and labels not having as much money as they used to and people not buying as much records considering that and then on top of that you have all the covid stuff considering both of those things it's still amazing that people are fucking knocking down the door to try and record like people are still churning out music and people are desperate to make new music so like i think that's that's something that really does give me a lot of hope that people are never ever going to stop making music that you know and, and hope like you, you you can just hope that the platform's are fairer and and better and more focused on the artists and and their music you can you can hope that that gets that gets better over time um but th- it really kind of gives you gives you hope that people are constantly trying to make music like because i was really worried like six months ago i was like what am i going to do like am i going to be able to record because i mean like i said like recording bands that's kind of my day job that's how i pay my rent and stuff so that's like that's what i do so i was i was really kind of am I going to be able to do this in six months time is this gonna is is anyone gonna want to record because they can't play live but they do like people as soon as like you know long before studios started I think studio like I've I think I went back to work in in July so I was kind of off from March till July which was strange but but good in some ways and I was very very lucky to be able to get that self-employed grant because I know a lot of people got fucked over with that I but honestly like long before even July rolled around people were messaging trying to get in and record the music which is really cool and really hopeful because again me and some other engineers and producers that i know we're really worried about how the hell things are gonna gonna end up but yeah it has to it has to give you hope man that people are like despite despite everything people are still very very keen to just just keep making music like no matter what the world or the music industry or anything kind of throws at them it's that's cool. That's really cool. And I think that's 
Yeah, that that's pretty hopeful. I think. What did you What did you gain from those um those few months between what was it March and July? Where it was kind of everything was I guess not calm, but everything kind of stopped and was pressed on pause for a minute. Just some drug problems, man. Only kidding, man. I was quite oddly thankful for the lockdown. Uh, I'd been right. I'd just started writing loads, man. I'd, I'd finally sort of just got my head down and went right. Okay, just started writing that sort of solo type record that I've been wanting to do for a very, very long time, and I've never really sat down and done it properly. I've always written stuff that's obviously ended up being used for Catholic action or or just not used. So, so I done that. But no, I was I was in I was in a kind of place where I was just sort of doing from the start of the year till March I was really just non-stop with recording and um touring with the band and it was that way where it was kind of like it felt a bit unhealthy I was just sort of doing just a total flurry of activity most of which I wasn't really that interested in so it was just kind of making me a bit sad when lockdown happened I was you know worried because I've got a good story about that like I was we had to come back from America the band we were over there playing and we had to like come back because we we you know we, there was a legitimate fear that would get stuck over there but no so i was kind of i was glad that uh everything was put on pause in a way also i was working with someone yesterday in the studio and we were talking about it and we were kind of like it's quite funny that there's like we both we were both kind of like in a, in a kind of morbid way it was kind of exciting <laughs> there was a little bit of excitement about it there was like is this it definitely felt like we were part of a moment in history yeah that was that's weird that's weird the only other time i've had that was i was old enough i mean i'm old enough to remember 9 11 when it happened and i'm watching it on the television when i got back like the you know they took all that they took the whole school into the assembly hall and i went to a catholic school and we said prayers and all that and they told us that the pentagon had been attacked and then i went home and i normally watched citv when i got home uh and it wasn't on and it was you know it was the live news feed of like the two towers and i seen one of the towers fall live like that was a time i was like okay living through history now and obviously yeah this year as well it's really like definitely this is we actually are living through history right now but there was there was yeah we were saying there was kind of a morbid like at the start of it as scary as i says there's like a tiny bit of excitement here this is so mad this has never happened before what the hell's going on hopefully it's all right thankfully it was i mean i don't think it was as bad as people were you know obviously yeah it's been really really awful but i think the death rate was nowhere near as high as they initially initially thought which was a, y- a blessing. yeah thank thankfully yeah thankfully what else can you do you can you can only really take it as it as it comes um and i'm just trying to make it into the most positive thing it could be i mean <laughs> our album probably came out at literally the worst time an album could come out no i, I was gonna say i remember the day that the record came out like i can i very vividly remember listening to it just lying down putting it on and just listening to it from start to finish and it, i mean it kind of ties into what we we're speaking about earlier with the way you perceive it differently when you listen to it as like a full thing like the emotional peaks of it really hit yeah amazing man thank you for listening like that i remember oh man i remember sign here you know when that just hits the way that that, that comes in like the trajectory of the album and just oh, yeah oh. The way it lands yeah thanks man that's really cool yeah sign here is about is about a real person and they know it's about them (laughs) and i've and i've I've met and i've met them since you know i've I've had a drink with them since what what did they say nothing they didn't they didn't bring it up (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know i don't know if that means i've won or not but wasn't as awkward as i thought it would be which is which is good how do you how do you determine like what the arrangement of a song's 
gonna be do you have the lyrics as the kind of the, the backbone and the structure because that's probably like one of the most i don't know the, the way the instrumentation kind of lifts it up it's kind of one of like the grandest you know biggest peaks on the record I'm trying to think i think we wrote that one like andrew kind of came up with the chords for it and then i think i was just kind of singing nonsense words over it and then we kind of i wrote sort of middle sort of b section and then it was a full thing because for a while it was just the chords and we were just looping on them it really depends man sometimes like i'll leave lyrics till last i'm actually quite bad for that i kind of and then other times you know i'll sit and it'll be immediate it really depends it just depends on what on you know on the weather that day or whatever there's not really any thought to it just whatever sounds cool to be honest i'd quite happily make an instrumental album because i get i don't really listen to music for the lyrics that often I kind of the lyrics are quite often secondary to me when I listen to records. I don't know if that's just because I'm really into production or what, but yeah, quite often the the arrangement, like a good arrangement, is like enough to sort of satisfy me. And then, like on repeated listens, I'll listen to the lyrics it, again. It, and again, it really depends on who it is. I guess it ties into that idea we were speaking about discovering things that you wouldn't otherwise notice when you listen to an album you sit and listen to it because that's when a lot of the kind of lyrical themes and the motifs and stuff emerge and they can get i guess they just add another layer to a record don't they exactly yeah and there's there's always there's always way more than you think i think that's why it's just it totally it really pays to 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 just sit and just listen to to an album it's just it's just going to be better for you overall i mean unless it's a really bad album in which case it be it might just be, <laughs> be torture torturous yeah how did the person find out that uh sign here was written about them because i didn't change his name (laughs) (laughs) they are called simon um yeah so i don't know why i didn't do that i I just figured that i thought this guy probably he's like a big industry guy and in a way he'll probably like this in some kind of egotistical way and he'll probably find it funny and the whole you know like the smiths wrote frankly mr shankly about jeff travis from rough trade you know what, he'll probably like having a song written about him slagging him off. Or, not really slagging him off, but this big dramatic thing about the music industry or whatever. It's got such a, like, a, a Beatlesy vibe to it as well, that track. Yeah. Which kind of, that, th- that was one of the things I noticed when, when listening to it the whole way through, is that that then crops up again at the end when you kind of do like a slight wee riff, you know, like on the, then the end Sergeant Pepper. Just that wee kind of looping instrumental. Oh. Uh, on the vinyl, it just like, it repeats, doesn't it? Like it doesn't actually end. Yeah. Like it just kind of keeps going round and round. It's very my bloody Valentine esque as well. Like it's kind of the closest you've got to Loveless. It's so nerdy, man. It's, it was so nerdy because we got the, we got. I just wanted to do it. Like let's just do a lock groove. Because the first time I figured out what a lock groove was, I was listening to uh, there's a Brian Eno record and I I stuck it on. And it wasn't like one of his nice ambient ones. It was one of his like you know like more like weird sort of art pop things, like Taken Tiger Mountain or something like that. I think. And I'd put it on and I was like, I'm just gonna lie down. And just listen to it, and I was, and at the end of the first side, there's a lock groove, but it's on a fucking alarm sound, and I was, you know, where you're like just about to get to sleep, and I'm like, I'm gonna have to fucking get up, because I thought, oh, the record will just end, and I can fall asleep and turn it off later, but no, there was an alarm, so I thought, fuck this, but also I want to do that. <laughs> That's just a cruel joke. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, ours was just, yeah, just it was just a wee nerdy, a wee nerdy touch, because we're all kind of, we're all a bit nerdy, really. We like things like that. But no, that's cool. Yeah, I like the the little lock groove at the end. Yeah, it's a total Beatlesy, just nerdy record thing, I suppose. When do you kind of get into the like the kind of technical side of of things? Like, are you, would you? I mean, you sound like you're a bit of 
bit of an audio file. Yeah. And the technical, the, the way that things operate and the kind of science behind music and how it functions. When did I get into, like, just when I was a teenager, man, like, when I, I just got really into recording bands. <laughs> well, just through, I wanted to record my own stuff. So it was just, like, figuring out how to do that kind of properly. And then I got really, really into it and done it at, like, college and worked as, like, an assistant engineer for someone at the Green Door Studio in Glasgow for a while and just kind of, le- like, yeah, so, I mean, the thing is, I'm at a point where I'm I'm just as happy making other people's records as I am my own. I definitely know I need to do this soul thing, like, I need to, I need to just do that for my soul <laughs> to be, I need to do that to be happy, I think. Something about songwriting that just is kind of good for me when you do it it's just like when you write a new song you do, I just ex- almost exclusively feel a lot better even if it's the saddest song I've ever written you just feel like you've exercised something and it's it's quite healthy but recording wise man I'm like I'm, in, I'm just as much into producing someone else or mixing someone else's record as I am doing my own stuff so the, yeah the technical stuff came early early on I've always, I've always been kind of into that with the, with the solo record as well and that that like desire and that need need to make it. It is it tapping into something that you haven't before. Is that what's what what's feeling that desire? It's really hard to explain it. I feel like with Catholic Action, I've never done something that's like really super cohesive and is totally me. It's kind of hard. It's hard to it's hard to explain. I just want to do something really quite simple and true to myself, out with the like confines of a band or the the confines of industry or any kind of expectations i've always just written songs that have been like well this maybe wouldn't really go with catholic action or it's this is there's been times where like people that know me quite well have like you know seen catholic action or listened to them and said well on some of the songs it maybe doesn't sound like you as a person some of them obviously do but some of them don't as time goes on you kind of change and things that you're into change and yeah, I just, I just, I just feel like I've, and I've just always wanted to do it. I've always wanted to just make a solo record and just, just without any kind of external influence. Because I'm quite, I can be quite awkward and stuff to work with. I think I'm not. It depends. Like, I mean, I think I'm probably quite awkward to be in a band with because I've obviously I've got the kind of producer hat on, but I've also got the sort of songwriter hat on and band member hat on. So I think that can, I don't know, make things awkward and, and things that kind of tense. And I just want to make something that's just doesn't have any of those kind of pressures i just i just want to follow completely what's sort of meaningful for me at that moment without any external influence and again it's just something that's been really bugging me because i've always wanted to do it and i've never seen it through kind of thing because i've never really had time like fully i've always been kind of doing the band stuff or recording other people whereas lockdown's kind of given me loads of time to be like to just kind of get back to you know get back to where i came from man I feel like I feel like I really regressed in a good way to like my 17 year old self I was kind of just basically writing songs and playing Halo a lot of the time it was pretty it's pretty good it's the perfect life it was it was it was good so I've been taking it easy man like getting back into things and just being a lot more selective with what I'm doing kind of as opposed to just filling up my calendar to pay the rent it's kind of I'm trying to make sure that shit's sorted and then try and spend a bit more time each month kind of working on my own stuff like so that this this month i've been lucky enough to just take it off completely and i've just focused on my own stuff all this month building up a little mixing room kind of thing like i'm building it i built it up in my old room at my parents house just now which is where we done recorded so much stuff in that room man like 
that Doom Well track was recorded in there, and all of that track, One of Us, because the, the One of Us that on the album is actually the demo version that we recorded. I remember hearing this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was just better. It just had good vibes. It just had the right feel to it, even though it was recorded in a bedroom. You know, and and by bedroom, I mean literally a bedroom. Like, we were on top of each other, pretty much. <laughs> Did you redo it in the studio? Did you like go in and re-record it and see how it sounded? Yeah, we did, but we just didn't like it as much. It just had there was just some something really vibey about the demo version of it that we didn't beat. And sometimes that's the case, man. I think that's the that's the one the one thing about technical stuff is it's good to know the technical stuff, but you don't want to let it overtake the the creative side of things because at the end of the day, like it doesn't really matter what microphone you use if the song's good, then that's all that matters. You know, if if even if it sounds really ratty. Or whatever. There's a really great um. There's a really great interview with uh. The, it went up the other day. There's a really cool. If anyone's into recording, that KEXP thing brought out. There's like a new series called Isolated Tracks, and they done one with the guy from King Gizzard, and it's amazing. And he just like you. Sh- you should steal this idea. It'd be really cool. <laughs> they like just go through the um. They go through all the isolated stems of a song, so it's like ah. Oh, he talks about how he recorded the drums, and then the bass, and then the guitar, and like. It shows you, like, because they're doing, like, the screen mirroring thing, and you can, like, see his Pro Tools session or whatever, like, building up with all this stuff that he does. And, again, like, one of his big things is, like, he's recording on really cheap, weird equipment. And it's it was the same with us when we were doing stuff at that home studio. It's all just, like, cheap mics and stuff, but it, does, that, it doesn't matter. It's, like, it's about the actual take. It's about the actual vibe. If you can, it doesn't matter what microphone you capture that on. If the vibe is there in the playing and the songwriting, then it's sorted yeah the emotion of it is more key to the success of the song yeah i mean with that song one of us being recorded just in the bedroom studio is part of that because of the environment is that part of what's contributing to that vibe probably probably it's definitely more relaxed it's why yeah this is what i was talking about i'm building up a little mixing space uh and i'm building it in that room just now like treating all the room properly redoing all the patch bay with like my mixing desk and all that stuff and because i've got analog outboard gear and like tape machines and shit once that's set up there, I want to move it. I want to find somewhere in Glasgow that I can move it into and just have a really nice, relaxed recording and mixing space that maybe me and a few other bands could share. Because environment's everything, man. Like, you, If you bring like a really young band, I forget, but recording studios really can be intimidating and kind of weird places. And if you took like a band that weren't used to it like into a really big studio, you can really freak them out. There's always an aspect of like when you take a band into a room for the first time set all the mics up and stuff you can kind of hear it you can kind of hear them getting more comfortable in the space yeah like i try and i try and kind of factor that in when i'm recording so like the cheap teeth ep the one that's out we factored that in we kind of really wanted to capture the energy that they have when they play live we didn't want it to be too much of a like studio construction so it was fairly live but to kind of get them in the zone we didn't really start until like late at night because we, we had this conversation when I was hanging out with them that like, you know what I mean, it feels kind of weird playing rock and roll music at 10 in the morning. Some people like that and I think that's kind of fine when you're doing overdubs or mixing and stuff. But sometimes for the initial takes, you kind of want to get into the spirit or the vibe that you're in, like that kind of late night gig vibe. So we really didn't, like, I mean, it, it meant that I think I got home from the studio at like 6 in the morning or something mental like that. But because the band had gotten comfortable in the space and the vibe was right, it just... It just happened and we must have got like a good 95% of the whole EP done in that one stretch. Man, 
I mean, there's a real kind of like late night haunted house vibe about that EP as well. Exactly, it's like, yeah. But it's got like a horror film kind of vibe. Exactly. Some of the Walt Disco stuff was like that as well. Like we ended up, it was obviously the initial tracks that we'd done in the same bedroom that I'd done like one of us and stuff in. But we'd done some stuff down in London as well. And that ended up being super duper late night vibes. Yeah. I mean, if you think of something like the start, like past tense, it's almost got like a slightly, you know, kind of ghoulish quality at the beginning of that song yeah that one was fairly late at night as well <laughs> i think we done that one we done that one at chem 19 in glasgow which is the same place that we done the cheap teeth record but yeah the environments environments a big deal and again it's one of the reasons why i've I kind of hop between studios i'd kind of like i said i'd like to have my own little base in glasgow somewhere which is kind of what i'm putting together i'm like building it up in that room to kind of as like proof of concept to make sure it all works then i'm just gonna kind of move it all wholesale into somewhere in glasgow but yeah i'd like to have my own base but at the same time i like hopping between studios because i think you can't really do one size fits all with recording or producing in that sense yeah different studios work better for different bands yeah you wouldn't really want to take like a band that had never recorded before into like studio one at chem 19 because it's fucking massive and like there's loads of like big racks of equipment and a huge mixing desk and it's like quite intimidating you, like you feel it like i remember when we were we done stuff in there like last year actually and I, and i like felt myself not being comfortable until like the third song until we'd like played through a song like two or three times i could like feel the nerves in my body like you know ironing themselves out as i got comfortable in the space and, and we've had lots of studio experience so you know to take like a brand new band in there would be kind of be a bit silly where is the ideal space for like a brand new band where would you i usually do stuff for bands like that in chem studio 2 at the moment it's where i've done the first cheap teeth thing and it's where i've done those walt disco things or some of them yes yeah, it's, it's, it's just like it's just a it's like a little small it's a smaller space it's still a studio it's, it's not a bedroom it's still a decent sized place it's just not massive it's like but you've got everything you need and then once you're like comfortable there then it unless you unless i mean again it also depends on what sound you're going for like if they were a new band and they wanted to have fucking massive drums like a big natural drum sound then yeah you'd probably want to have them in a bigger space and that's fine but for most bands you kind of i don't know environment's better man if you can get them into the if you can get them into a space where they're comfortable then they're gonna they're gonna sound better they're just gonna play better than themselves they're gonna feel free to say insane things and try insane things like again like that was the thing from my own experiences really early on when I was younger I was like I just felt that I was in an environment where I couldn't be properly creative which is fucking mental you know you want to you want to be able to create an environment where you can be free to make spectacular mistakes I like trying to sort of conjure that environment for bands I guess you gain a slightly a, a better understanding as well of where you work best creatively like what you were saying about how you felt like you couldn't be creative in that environment as with time and as you kind of develop you get a, a sense of what you can do to engineer a space that that can occur yeah no absolutely absolutely just it's, it's kind of it's kind of nice you know being a songwriter and an artist and myself as well as being a producer because they both you kind of learn a lot about the other well so what have you learned most from being a producer that has affected your songwriting and what have you learned most from being a songwriter that has affected your production i'm not really sure i think with songwriting i try and keep that fairly sort of sacred and separate i've always been someone that's like trimmed the fat whenever i get bored during a song that i've written i usually just cut the section or change it like even if that means the song is going to be two and a half minutes long 
that's fine with me. It can be really liberating to take something out. Exactly. The the production side of it's definitely had much more of an influence on like arrangement arrangement and like instrumentation and things like so this chorus, for example, maybe feels like it's lacking on the low end. So, you know, I'd maybe play some play an instrument with lots of low end in it as opposed to like stick another high part. You start thinking about arrangement in terms of like frequencies and shit like that. Not oh my god, it needs loads of two hundred hertz. It's more like there's like this it just needs that body to it or it needs that kind of high shimmer or you can kind of feel feel what works and what doesn't more. And I, I just I've also just been always been kind of a firm believer in the sort of studio as an instrument kind of approach. And I think that's really evident on the on the second Catholic Action album. A lot of the, the tracks are total studio tracks that were just written and sort of recorded mostly in this very room actually. I'm in my little home studio in my flat. Having the production side of things means that I'm not really closed off to this kind of thing. I can use production tricks and stuff like that to kind of make the arrangement a bit more interesting or just come up with really strange strange sounds kind of thing. Some tracks are more like bandy tracks. Strange Hell or what do you call it? One of Us. They're more like written in the room kind of thing with the, the band. I mean, Grinch, how, like, <laughs> the start of that, the way, it, the introduction to that, like, just absolute blast of sound. <laughs> At what point did that, that come in? Did that change a lot? That opening kind of just, it's like a punch in the face. It just gets smacks in your throat. And... Yeah, no, we just always, we just always did that. That's just how we started it. I think with the Catholic action stuff, there's always, like, a bit of, always a bit cheeky, isn't it? There's always, like, a wee bit. It's like a sort of knowing wink, isn't it? Start a witness as well. Oh, that, that's really funny actually <laughs> that's that's jamie we me and andrew were working on that track and jamie was at work at the time and we thought oh this will be really funny we'll get him to do back of vocals over the phone because it will sound weird because obviously so we were recording the phone call and that was we ended up not using the back of vocals that he did over the phone but we did keep that bit because he was like in the toilet at work we convinced him to go to the toilet at work and just record these vocals for us. The thing is, you have to really, you have to really go for it as well. You can't like half arse that. Yeah, That's proper he, singing in the toilet. Yeah, and we were just trying to get. I was trying to get him to say different things, and obviously he wasn't having that. So, <laughs> but so that's what that's what made the the thing. Whereas the other track that was quite funny was the very last track on the record came about. It was just me and Andrew again, kind of. I think I don't know where the other two were. I don't know. We were in the studio anyway, and down in London, and the <clears throat> there was this like journalist who had done this interview and stuff and it was great but then they were just hanging around and they were just kind of filming everything we were doing and i thought it'd be funny to just write the lyrics about that the go away go away go, or whatever i'm saying i can't remember came from that we kind of just layered all the track up that night and done that <laughs> which is quite funny i think i added the little omni chord section later on when it goes really quiet but that was really funny that night it was just just that that's the total kind of sense of humor that makes a catholic action track a catholic action track i think yeah like you say that that knowing wink yeah so the the solo stuff is different and it's just a bit more honest and open and this this time i'm trying to like finish the writing process first before i do any recording so i've been demoing them yeah i've been some of them are fairly fleshed out demos but i'm trying not to mix the two processes up because i've always done that in the past i've always started recording things properly before i've finished writing them and it means that the process gets really like convoluted and confused can be difficult because did you not basically engineer most of the last record as well as well as producing and writing it yeah so that's quite hard work i don't know and i mean i mean i might may well do that again with this solo thing it really depends on how i'm going to record it and if there's like a budget for it or not i'd like to maybe 
record it with someone else. It just it just depends. If I can get the money to do that, then I probably will. But if not, then I'll just I'll just do it myself. But it'll be easier because it's just me. There's not going to be any like distractions. Do you think you're more creative around more or less people when you're in a room and working in that environment? Overall, probably with less people if it's my own stuff. But in the right circumstances, I think I can be pretty creative with a group of people in a production sense absolutely obviously like when you're with more people and it's kind of a healthy environment and everyone's kicking ideas about then that's great you know that obviously is so in the production sense yeah obviously when i'm with other people it's more creative for my own music i probably come up with my best stuff when i'm on my own unless it's like a band thing like unless it's the four of us kind of jamming and kicking out ideas in a room then that can be pretty creative too. I guess it depends on the song as well. And kind of certain songs are better suited to that personal, very kind of soul, um, refined view of one individual and some kind of benefit a wee bit more from having different things kind of thrown in. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you know which is which? W- when you're writing songs, do you know this is a Catholic action song or this is maybe something that would be better left for the solo record? How do you kind of define what should go where and what project it should be? Historically pretty bad at that. <laughs> Yeah, historically, historically, I'm quite bad at knowing that sort of thing. I think I'm getting much better at it now. I kind of know what it is. Like, I've written to this solo thing I'm doing. I think I've got, like, I've got, like, 20-odd songs done. I'm not sure if I'm going to write more or not for it. Maybe I will. I need to, like, I need to sit back and listen to all of them and kind of figure out. I know for a fact that maybe three or four of them are definitely Catholic action songs. Like, I can't really sit down and go, okay, I'm going to write this type of song today. I kind of just let myself go and then at the end of the day I'm like all right that's that and then I can sort it later so I think my my, the thing that works best for me is just write loads and then sort it into what goes with what why certainly do you feel that you're not you've not been good at that I feel like I'd like to do something just a bit more consistent over the course of a record there's something to be said about a record that is one vibe again to talk about someone like Mac DeMarco right you kind of What's the record of his with like this old dog on it? It's like second last album or something. I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's called. Is it not called this old dog? Maybe it's got those ones on it anyway. But it's that album, and I really love that. Like, I kind of know what I'm getting for that whole album. Do you know what I mean? So it makes it quite a nice album to put on in a moment. Like I'm going for a drive, or I've got friends over, or something, and I want the I want the mood to be one specific thing. I'd quite like to make an album that's sort of like that. Catholic Action albums, certainly the second one, they're more like the later Beatles albums and the they kind of jump between styles. Not styles, but like, so like One of Us could almost be on a different album from People Don't Protest Enough. Like, I think that's pretty wild that they're on the same album. And I think that's cool. Like, that's, that's just kind of who we are or who we were at that moment. There's a very cohesive personality about them, though. Even if this, the style of the song is different, they still kind of occupy the same soundscape and the same... You, you, you could tell it was from the same band, I think. Cool. Just well, the see, that's the, that's the difficult thing about being a songwriter and a producer and an engineer, because it's so difficult to see that. Whereas if I was an outside, if you were the producer of the record, you could have told me that. <laughs> you could have been like, Chris, it's fine. <laughs> it, still sounds like, it still sounds like you, just a different kind of you. It's difficult to kind of keep that perspective. It's very easy for me to have that perspective when I'm working with another band, but for my own stuff, it's quite difficult. Yeah, I guess it's about the different sides of your personality and them can all just 
fitting into the record in different ways and coming up with different the other thing is the the argument for albums like that is i'm a human being and i have different moods you know i'm not always gonna be in that kind of jovial knowing wink mood for example you know i might be in a more serious mood but again i just i I think just out maybe out of curiosity i'd quite like to do an album that's more a similar kind of vibe that you can put on and not you could be with a lover and put it on and not have to get up and change it halfway through because there's like an oompa band section (laughs) you know what would you say then is like the what is the the primary you think is the best environment to listen to the last record in then in a flotation tank (laughs) (laughs) that just I, i mean i just made it in the way that I listen to records, really. I just, I, I like to, I don't always sit and only listen to music. Like, I don't listen to as much music as people would think I listen to because when I do listen to music, I listen to it quite, I, I try to listen to it quite actively. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll stick a record on if I'm like making dinner or cooking or something, or sometimes when I, you know, go for a drive, but I don't like constantly have it on in my headphones when I'm just doing stuff. Like, I don't really. I've never really listened to music outside. I know, and I don't know if that's just because I never bothered to get headphone attachment to the new iPhone or whatever, or because I genuinely like just kind of sitting listening to stuff. I mean, I guess whatever whatever works for you is the best way to listen to it. But I definitely wrote it with just people fairly actively listening to it in mind. I mean, there's definitely tracks on it that work on their own. Certainly, the more singly ones, obviously. How did you put the singles for it? Because it seemed like they cover quite a broad spectrum when it comes to the different sides of it. Well, um, some of the singles we, some of the singles everyone kind of agreed on, and some of the other singles were more like a label thing. Every time the labels labels have tried to suggest that we do something, and we do it, it never works. Every time we've done something off our own backs that we really believe in, it always works. Just with singles and stuff like. They wanted some tracks that we didn't really want to have as a single, as a single. And obviously those were the singles that didn't do as well. If I was to redo the album list, the track list, I wouldn't have Your Old Dad on the album. I just feel that it's too much like the first album. Would you have replaced it with another track? Or just I, we'd have probably put a different track on, I think. You know, but that was kind of a record label thing. And at the end of the day, you're like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, they are pumping money into it and things like that. But... I don't know. I just if I was to do if I was to do it differently, I'd maybe not have that track on it. I'm just probably overthinking it, really. Do you have to pick your battles a wee bit when it comes to yeah, absolutely. Labels? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, probably the more money involved, the more the more careful you have to be with that sort of thing. So there's probably a lot of people that have it a lot worse than than we do. And I think I'm just kind of at the point where it's like, well, we're not really doing it to be beggar to be rock stars or anything. So I'd rather just do what feels right for us. As far as possible, obviously, because what's honestly what's the point? There's a lot of there's a lot of things you can do with your life that are a lot easier and a lot more rewarding, certainly monetarily, than being in a band. If you're not doing it in a way that feels true to you, then you probably shouldn't do it as far as possible. But then also there's like, well, you know, if you don't do this, then your album's not going to come out. This, yeah, you need you need to pick your battles basically, yeah. But you know, I reckon the more money involved, the worse that gets. So, like, if you're on a major label or whatever, I reckon it's probably you have to be probably open to to being completely rearranged in order to sell records, unless you got to the stage where you were like really, really. I mean, like even what like Kanye West and all that is he not having 
some kind of horrible battle with his. He's going nuts. Yeah, night, horrible he? battle with his record label at the moment. So, and he's arguably one of the biggest artists in the world. So, have you been on the same label from the start? No, we from our first album have been on a label called Modern Sky, and then our second album was on Modern Sky, and also on a label in America called Palo Santo. Before the first album came out, we put stuff out on a label called Love, 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 and before that. We put out like 11 tracks or something in the course of a year and a half on loads of cassette tapes with a label called Fuzzkill Records in Glasgow who were really, really good. And they kind of, they don't really do so much to the label now, but the the main guy in Fuzzkill kind of helps run that, you know, Free Kender Festival. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're involved with that now. But they were like, they were the early champions of the band. They were the first people to put us out and things like that. So, but it was all, it was all on like super limited edition cassettes and stuff and like we never put the songs on spotify or anything like that what were those tracks like were they similar to the stuff that kind of followed after what was the progression like well some of the tracks were this like so like luv there was like an an older version of luv that we re-recorded for that love 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 label um that was one of the tracks and then there was some other there was like this instrumental thing that kind of became that rita ora track (laughs) yeah i know people some people didn't get that 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 was a joke i love that song (laughs) Yeah, so stupid. It's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, there was just, there was just a lot of stuff. There was like a lot of the stuff that ended up kind of becoming the first album stuff, and then there was a few like we used to do loads of covers, things like that as well. So like we recorded like a Silver Jays cover, <clears throat> like an Emmett Rhodes cover, and stuff like that. It was just kind of us figuring our stuff out. Yeah, there was just, but it was cool. It was it felt really pure and good. The more involved with the industry you get, I kind of miss that. I really, I really miss the sort of, or we all, we all kind of miss the, the the sort of early days of the band where it was just like, we're just gonna do whatever the fuck we want to do. We're gonna put these cassettes out. We're gonna book our own tours. We're gonna do whatever we want, basically. Not that there's some big bad industry person controlling things. There, there really isn't. There's just a lot of pressures and stuff that come along with that that just kind of make things really sort of anxiety-inducing. When you look at the two the two album covers from the first and second, there's obviously that clear kind of parallel. I love the second where you've kind of got the growth with the more instruments, but also the ferns that kind of insinuate that and further that. How how have you grown most musically and changed most in terms of your approach between the two records? Second album is probably much more of a studio thing. Like I'd kind of learned a lot more about production and gotten into the, the studio side of things a lot more. Like I think there was a real conscious thing of us to, to kind of get away from the first album sound. It was probably a too like indie pop for us in some places. Like I don't really listen to indie pop. I don't really like it very much. We obviously all grew up listening to a lot of it. We're kind of of an age where all that sort of mid noughties NME stuff kind of seeped in. Like obviously I loved the Strokes. I really really loved. It. I got I bought the first Strokes album when it came out. I was like ten. I'm kind of proud of that purchase. How big were they at that point? Yeah, pretty big. I mean, well, certainly, and to me they were pretty big i mean in like indie the indie kind of world also i mean i wasn't really aware i'd heard that track the modern age in a skateboard video and i'd looked it up and i was like oh that's them i'm gonna try and find their album if i can so all that stuff's eaten but the the first um yeah the first album i think a lot of it was kind of i just just want we just wanted to get away from the indie pop thing because none of us are really all that into indie pop it's kind of you doing indie pop though like it's it's not just an indie pop album it's you putting your kind of spin on that and working in elements of it to the the kind of catholic action sound 
Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think this, the songs that I write are, I can't really change the way I write songs to an extent. I mean, I, I do write kind of, do you know what I mean? I'm not writing some mad, crazy avant-garde record. I, I do write kind of fairly classically structured pop songs by default. They're going to they're gonna kind of end up that way. Yeah, the, the second album was just quite a conscious move away from that and certainly much more of a studio thing, just because that's kind of what we were into or what I was into at that moment. Were you a bit more in control with the second one? Because obviously it's just yourself that produces it as opposed to working on the first time with other people. Yeah, I think so. Again, I think I just it was one of these things I sort of had to do, whether or not that's a good thing for my quote-unquote uh, career or not, I don't really know. But I just I just feel like I just kind of felt like I had to do that at that point in time. That was just the dynamic of the band at that moment. I think you have to trust yourself, though. Like what you were saying earlier about how all the decisions that you've made that you've been completely behind have paid off well. Once you can start doing that, you get a bit of experience. You can then can you can you rest a wee bit easier? Is there a bit of the self doubt starts to kind of go away? Or yeah, I'm just glad that we did it. I'm glad that it's out. I've not really thought about it all that much since it's been out. I've just been kind of in. I've just been thinking about this stuff I've been working on recently and just trying to be as honest as I can be with that. Do you often take time to reflect? Are you kind of very much someone who once they've finished a project and it's out and the PR runs done that you kind of just move on to the next thing quite quickly and keep going? Yeah, because I'm kind of definitely... Because usually by the time that it's out, I'm already sort of bored of it. Maybe that's why why I can't... Or I tend to jump between styles, but there's a lot of like different sonic influences because i just don't have the attention span to <laughs> to write something that's like one vibe and maybe that's also why i kind of feel like i have to move on quite quickly like i just think it's important like it's just good it's just it's really it's, it's a really healthy thing for me to just to not because I'll, i i just naturally kind of overthink and um dwell on everything so if i can force myself to not do that by moving on really quickly then that's good i guess music can be a slightly more positive way to channel that aspect of yourself as well you know that idea of of overthinking things music's a more a healthy output for that as opposed to i guess other things kind of in wider life yeah it just yeah you just have to convince yourself to not overthink basically when you're in the studio (laughs) if you know if you know about the tent i kind of in some ways i wish that we could just find a producer that we trust if i think if we ever were to make a third album like, I wouldn't want it to be... I don't want to record it. I wouldn't want to engineer it. I just want to, like, turn up and play kind of thing. Inevitably have a hand in the production of it because I just probably couldn't help myself. But I think, yeah, whatever I work on in future, I think I'd quite like it to to maybe not think about the technical aspect of it or only think about the technical aspect of it when it matters. So, like, which is why, again, to talk about that solo thing is I'm, I'm trying to keep the processes really separate you know like the writing process and demoing process and then I, once i've got enough that i feel like as a can be put together as a cohesive album then i'm gonna tackle how i'm gonna record it i mean and it, and it may very well be me recording it but at least at that point i've got kind of everything written and arranged so i can just have this sort of technical hat on and not have to take the technical hat off and put the songwriter hat back on and, and make that change like a hundred times a day kind of thing because it's sort of exhausting and it can lead it can definitely lead you to overthinking kind of thing swings and roundabouts <laughs> can you switch <laughs> you know? between the two though can it sometimes not help a wee bit with perspective like if you're working on something from a production point of view and then you go back to thinking about it more from a songwriting point of view you maybe get something yeah 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely, it definitely can help. Just it's just one of those things that you can just, it can really help, but you can also end up in a point where you chase your tail, especially if you have like the equipment at hand to do like a decent recording anywhere. <laughs> you can kind of sit and end, and obviously with things like Pro Tools as well, you can sit and endlessly tweak, which is why limitations are a good thing, and which is why if we were to do another record, would probably do it fairly live to tape. It's one of the other ways I'm thinking of doing the solo thing is potentially just putting a band together for the record, learn all the songs and go in and like blast it out really quickly as opposed to kind of learn everything up one by one by myself on Pro Tools. So we'll see. We'll see. But it's, I mean, they, they both they both have their ups and downs. Yeah, you, you just have to, you just have to keep perspective basically. Otherwise, it's, you can lose it really, really easily. How, what have you learned from working on the two records and stuff that has allowed you to better keep perspective throughout the process i'm not really sure man just you just kind of learn to do it you just kind of learn to maybe know when to take a break or when to yeah when to walk away from something and come back to it because that's the the only thing you can do really sometimes you just have to go to bed and wake up the next day and, and hear it fresh and then it's like immediate you immediately know what what it needs or what it doesn't need and even sometimes if you you know, if it's in the middle of the day, if you go and have a cup of tea or go for a walk, come back and it just it just makes sense. Walking can have a really in, a really interesting effect on music as well. Like if you go out and put on an album and it's almost like that weird sensation of moment and focusing on something else, like activates another part of your brain when you're listening to it. Mm, I need to try that. I need to, because I've got, I bought the little <laughs> iPhone thing to plug my headphones in, but I've lost it. And there is a box somewhere in my flat with that in it. I need to find it and like, because again, like I was saying, I don't tend to do that. I think it would probably be pretty good. I should try it. If you go out, um, I wouldn't say walking somewhere, but if you go out just with the intention of going for a walk and then listen to it, I quite often do it when I'm doing features and stuff if I want to try and put myself in a different place to listen to a record and get a slightly different perspective on it when you've already heard it for the first time, it can be quite useful. Oh yeah, I suppose, yeah, if you're if you're reviewing it and stuff. How do you balance like cynicism when you're writing? Because sometimes... I remember years ago I wrote album reviews for a blog for a while just for fun. I sort of got into trouble for being too harsh or like too negative about something. Do you know what I mean? But then at the same time it's like well why would you have a review website if you only ever wanted to post good reviews of things? I don't want to, I found it kind of confusing. Yeah it's difficult because blogs are in a weird position at the minute where you're very much at the will of the PR people in a weird kind of way. Like if you, mm-hmm. they're kind of, it's kind of fucked because if you write a bad review, the PR person isn't going to like it and they're just not going to give you opportunities again in future. So it doesn't, the system, uh. the system doesn't work. <laughs> but I mean. Yeah. Plus then it's like, it's not like the bands are going to share it on their page. I mean, <laughs> read this review, this, this review that pans a record that you should also buy. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I mean, we've stopped doing reviews. So I weird. stopped doing them. I took the section off a few weeks back. Did you? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I like writing them, but it's like, I prefer I prefer just speaking to bands, to be honest. Like, mm. And I, I was kind of just, ugh, to be honest, no one fucking reads them. So it's like, what's the point in spending 10 hours writing a review that 10% of the people who, I don't know, listen to a podcast are going to read, if you know what I mean. Like, mm. I just feel like, when you're kind of, because it's just me that does everything when you push for time, it feels... You should just focus on the things I guess that you enjoy then a bit more. I did like writing them. Maybe I'll come back to it. I don't know. Yeah. Mm, fair enough. It's tricky. What what's like the 
the most important question to ask yourself then when you first start working with a band do i like them <laughs> <laughs> yeah do i think they're good i mean yeah probably that i mean do i think the songs are good because uh, that's everything it doesn't matter like doesn't matter what i do if the songs aren't good then it's gonna it's not gonna be good but then it's, it's a hard one if you freelance because you're also like you need to pay the rent so there's a balance you, you kind of want to get yourself obviously to the point where you can pick and choose absolutely everything that you do uh but good songs just jump out at you man even if like i'm always trying to get bands to send me demos demos <laughs> demos demos yeah um i'm just like just just send me the, just like go to the rehearsal room and stick your iphone on voice memo and play that because you can hear a good song even if it's recorded like trash do you know what i mean it's you can still hear if it's good so yeah that's the main thing is like do i think the songs are good do i think that i can do maybe what they want me to do like or what they want do you know what i mean like i can't and it's just well you kind of learn it as you go along like you you get like i remember really early like years ago maybe five or six years ago i was recording a band and we'd recorded it live really trashy sounding garagey drums and all that super trashy garage band like kind of like really fuzzy and all that and then when we went to mix it the guy was kind of like oh can we make the drums sound like a drum machine well i'm so i'm really sorry but i can't i mean why didn't you just use a drum machine and again it's just that's just experience man it's just experience you kind of learn to to have those conversations obviously beforehand but again it's like not every producer is right for every band you know you maybe go to someone for a certain thing it's just kind of figuring that out as well we don't need to get into specifics but have you ever been in the middle of working with a band on a song and kind of realized that this maybe isn't the collaboration you should have gone for maybe like you're saying there that never produces right for every band you felt like this was a a misstep yeah not that often i try i try and i try and avoid that more now but obviously when you're starting out obviously that happens you work with bands that you're just like not into that much because you have to you're kind of learning as well you know and the the better you get and the more sort of clout you get the more you can pick and choose and really like seek out bands that you're properly into but yeah it's just yeah it's just one of those things i mean it's just the hap you know ideally you the the longer you do it and the better you get at it you don't really want to end up in those situations are the things you can learn though from working with a band in that situation are there lessons that you can take that you maybe wouldn't have got had they been a band that you've been thrilled to work with yeah i suppose yeah no yeah totally i mean it's just it's really just it just depends and there's always like because you can work as a producer on stuff that you wouldn't normally listen to because you can appreciate it but you can appreciate where it comes from and you can kind of get into it you know even if you think it's a like if it's if it's a well-written song that's you know if it's a good song even if it's not really in the style or the aesthetic that you would normally listen to you can still like appreciate it for what it is that happens that happens a lot but that's why it's like the main thing for me is the song it's not really you know the aesthetic or the style i mean obviously there's styles that tend to gravitate towards more than others that's like well it's just odd like i tend to people probably don't really know it but i tend to work on a lot of kind of folky singer songwritery things you know you wouldn't really think that if you listen to my stuff but it's actually I'm, i'm very very much into that and i've done quite a few albums of stuff like that over the years with other people that i really really quite enjoy i mean again you just you just wouldn't really think that if you listen to my stuff yeah i mean again it kind of comes down to limitations if you put yourself like a genre like folk where it's essentially it's very stripped back and it, again it kind of for, forces you to focus on the parts of the song that are most important yeah no absolutely absolutely 
like for instance with the cheap teeth ep then what shape were those songs in when they brought them to you man cheap teeth are like cheap teeth were pretty fully formed to be honest like it's not like i had a lot to do really it was more just kind of getting the environment right and getting the sounds right and kind of helping with the arrangement here and there but it wasn't now cheap teeth are like cheap teeth are really fully formed and it's a real pleasure to work with bands like that they just come in and and you can bounce ideas and it's not really it really de- like every band is totally different when you get a band like that it's pretty it's quite special it just it just works just that atmosphere of you both kind of radiating radiating off of each other as well yeah and you can feel it really kind of clicking in the yeah place. like some so obviously some things you have to you know every every job's different and, and some sometimes it's more like helping bands structure songs and really helping them get things together but other times yeah it's just kind of setting the mics up and hitting record and, and getting the best take and things like that but it really again it really depends on on the band and where they're at and what they're into and things like that can you can you get like a emotional can you feel the same like range of emotion with your own music that you can when working with another band when you have that kind of you're so tied to it sometimes yeah i think so i think so it's harder as you go like in the process of making the song the further you go on with it it becomes harder to feel the same emotions if you're like stuck in the detail until you like step back and look at all of it but no yeah this this been the time the other week i was i got really upset when i was doing vocals and stuff it was weird but it was sort of a good thing in a way i kind of ended up using those takes i was like well they're they're definitely the most emotional of the of of the takes that I've done. I should probably use those. But yeah, with other with other bands as well, man. There was one guy called Michael Cassidy. I'm working on his album just now. I've done an EP with him before, and he's he's like a super folky guy. There's, there's a, it's amazing. There's this whole other scene to Scotland. It's just a big folk thing that people don't really cross over into very much. But yeah, I remember like he was like, oh, "I've got this new song," and they just went in and we were in the studio and everything was set up and he did it, and I was like again like pretty much moved to tears just the first time i'd heard him play this song i was like oh my god man that's amazing this has to go on the album you have to keep this song and they did it was the same with cheap teeth like and there was one song called the wind in the rain and as soon as they played like they weren't gonna they weren't initially gonna record that song and then they, they were like oh we've got we've got this other song we, you know we might do it might not I was like, just go and just go and play it and we'll see you know because everything was set up and it was like so good as soon as they played it you were just like, yep, you fucking have to, you, you have to record this song. You have to put this one out as a single. This is like, you know, because bands don't always realise. I think you're right. I mean, I find it hard to, I don't always know that th- stuff about my own songs. Like, I don't always initially know, oh, this one's really good or this one's a single or whatever. You kind of, it's certainly, maybe when you step back a little bit down the line, it's kind of easier to see that stuff when everything's all finished up and you can again see the bigger picture but hard to keep that perspective when you're in the band but the like those are the kind of moments that really make you love doing it when you just get a band like that and they they don't even they don't realize how uh, how good they are in that sense Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 